Our third scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. This section is titled, Paul's Farewell Visit to Toros. On the first day of the week, when we met to break bread, Paul was holding a discussion with them since he intended to leave the next day. He continued speaking until midnight. There were many lamps in the rooms upstairs where we were meeting. A young man named Eutychus was sitting in the window, began to sink off into a deep sleep while Paul talked still longer. Overcome by sleep, he fell to the ground three floors below and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and bending over him, took him in his arms and said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. Then Paul went upstairs, and after he had broken bread and eaten, he continued to converse with them until dawn. Then he left. Meanwhile, they had taken the boy away alive and were not a little comforted. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you would join me once again in an attitude of prayer. Awakening and resurrecting God, you love your creation. No matter our social or economic or any other status, we are all worthy of your love grace and salvation because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We are all your children. Help us, we pray, to always remember that. And now may the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts together in this place be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, today we are finishing up our current sermon series, Wait. That's in the Bible? Where we've been looking at some of the maybe stranger and less known stories that we find in Scripture. The Bible is filled with some of the most inspiring, empowering, and amazing stories ever recorded. But it does also contain some stories that might give us a moment to pause and say, wait, what? The first week we looked at a story about a prophet who was mocked and the fallout for those who would dare to do such a thing to one of God's prophets. We also talked about the challenge in reconciling the story with our understanding of a loving and forgiving God. Then last week we looked at the story of a talking donkey and the abuse it suffered at the hands of its oblivious master. We also talked about how God is still speaking and how God speaks to each of us in the ways that we are most likely to hear. Now, I have to own up to something here with you all. When I was younger, I would sometimes fall asleep during the sermons in church, which the irony of that is not lost on me as I sit here giving a sermon. When I was very young, I didn't, young, I didn't really think much of it, and it's really not that unusual for small children to to fall asleep during the service, especially the sermon. But as I got a little bit older, I really did try to stay awake and pay attention. Sometimes I was successful, and sometimes not. Whenever I sat between my sisters, they would try their best to keep me awake with gentle pokes or taps, um, always looking out for me. But then, when I got to the age to begin the journey towards confirmation, things had to change. I had to really make a strong effort to stay awake because part of what our pastor had us do as part of our confirmation process 
was to outline several of the sermons given throughout the year. So not only did I have to stay awake and pay attention, I had to pay close enough attention to develop what I thought the outline of the sermon that was being given was. Now, I have to admit I was extremely blessed in this process for two reasons. First, my father would sit next to me and, and do it with me. He didn't do it for me, but he did it himself, and then we would look over it afterwards to see if there were things that I had maybe missed or misunderstood. But secondly, I was very blessed because both of the pastors that we had at our church were very organized in their sermon preparation, and that made it much easier to form those outlines and follow their train of thought. So trust me, if anyone understands the struggle of staying awake during sermons, it's me. And I do try really hard to make these messages interesting enough that they on their own don't put you to sleep. I know that the lack of a good night's sleep, not feeling well, etc., can, can all lead to wanting to rest one's eyes. But hopefully it will never be the words I am speaking that cause you to drift off into dreamland. No guarantees, but I promise to always make a good effort. So this morning, we're going to look again at our story from the 20th chapter of the book of Acts that covers Paul's farewell visit to Taras and the events that happened throughout. So we enter the story hearing that Paul is holding a discussion with some of the people, and it continued on until midnight. He was leaving the next day, so he wanted to get as much time with these people as possible. And we're told that there were many lamps in the room upstairs where they're meeting as the night went on. We are then introduced to a young man who was present named Eutychus. We find him sitting in the window watching and listening. But then, as you might expect, Eutychus began to sink off into a deep sleep while, and I quote from scripture, Paul still talked longer. But then tragedy, uh, tragedy strikes. Overcome by sleep, Eutychus falls out the window, the upstairs window, down to the ground some three floors below, and dies. Now, if we stopped the story right here, I can immediately think of two important lessons that this passage would offer. First, a message for pastors. If you preach too long, someone could die. Second, a message for those listening to someone preaching. If you fall asleep during a sermon, you could die. But thankfully, there is much more to the story. So let's keep going. So after this horrible accident, Paul goes down himself and bends over the boy, takes him in his arms, and says, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. Then Paul goes back upstairs, and after having something to eat, he keeps talking with the other people until dawn. And then he leaves. And the last thing we are told is that the boy is taken away alive, and they were not a little comforted. Yay! Happy ending! Thorda right? Well, let's unpack this a little bit, shall we? The first thing we can make a note of is that this story belongs to the category of resurrection miracles. While maybe not as well known as the story of Lazarus or some of the other people that Jesus brought back to life, it is still in that same category. This restora uh, restoration of Eutychus's life served as a vivid reminder to the Christians of Taras that the Jesus whom Paul had been preaching about was indeed the resurrection and the life. Now, 
According to John Paul Hill's work in the New American Commentary, there are two conclusions we can draw from this incident. The first focuses on Paul, and the second on this young man, Eutychus. According to Paul Hill, the first serves to connect the incidents to the larger narrative of Paul's journey. Assured of the youth's recovery, Paul returns to the upper room, partook of the Lord's Supper with the other Christians, and evidently shared a larger meal with them. He then continues his discourse with them until daybreak. Afterward, he departed since he would need to hasten to Asos to catch his ship. Now he follows this up with the claim that the second conclusion that focuses on Eutychus, he was taken home fully recovered. Everyone was immeasurably comforted. It was more than comfort. They were encouraged and strengthened in their faith by what they had witnessed that night. And I admit that the wording in the passage made it seem like the opposite of this, depending on how you hear it. Now, I think Paul Hill's offerings here are fair and, and make sense. I especially see value in his second point about this miracle, strengthening the faith of the people present. But what does this do for us right now, right here today? There are several stories of resurrection, not just Jesus' resurrection in the Bible. So is this one somehow special? Does it really add that much more to the resurrection miracle stories and history? Now, I found a few scholars who actually make the claim that Eutychus was being punished in his fall to his death. They essentially claim that he was mocking God by falling asleep during this worship service and Paul's preaching and thereby mocking God. And we know what happens when someone mocks God, right? But no bears come out to maul this boy. But these scholars argue that the fall to his death is his righteous punishment for mocking God. I personally believe that's more than a bit extreme, especially when we look at it in comparison to the situation with the youths who are mocking Alicia. Their mockings were intentional and mean and were not likely the first time any of them had done it. But we're not told anything about this young boy, like that he was somehow disrespectful to others or had a habit of falling asleep in dangerous places. And I don't think many of us, if any of us, wouldn't be able to picture someone who has fallen asleep in an upright manner of sorts, slouching or falling over. In this case, it happened to be backward or in whatever way would have allowed this young boy to fall out the window and lose his life. So we could see this passage as just another history of worship in the early church that involved a meal, a message, and some discussion. It could serve as example of the formation of the early churches and faith communities and at some level, it does. But again, what message does it give us right now, today? Well, when I look at it on the whole, I think at least for me, in my context and in my understanding of faith in God, I think this passage is more about mercy and grace. Regarding the punishment angle, I cannot guarantee that it was not part of the equation just like in the story of Alicia and the mocking youth. Sometimes we may not have a complete answer, and that's okay. And when we consider the example set about worship in the early church, this too holds value, 
And I personally appreciate seeing this kind of historical information being presented for us as readers today. It is through this and other examples of worship that we have established certain worship formats, liturgy, and the flow over the years. But I guess I just feel strongest about the viewpoint of resurrection. By resurrecting this young boy, Paul, and God by working through Paul, has shown the mercy and grace of God. Through this saving act, Paul has shared the power of God with the people then and continues to show it to us. And there is something specific that he shows about it. Paul saves saves the life, or, or rather brings it back, of a young man. We are told nothing about him, so we have no idea if he is just some random person, the child of the owner of the home. We have no idea what the social status of this person was. And, And that's exactly my point. When Jesus brought Lazarus back, that was a friend of his, someone he loved deeply, and the brother of two women who were very dedicated to him and his ministry. When he brought back the daughter of Jairus, that was the child of one of the rulers of a Galilee synagogue. But in this instance, we have no idea if this Eutychus was special or somehow related to someone important or powerful. And that matters that we don't know. Because if we don't know, we can't assume one way or another. And what that means is that Anyone, regardless of status or any other qualifier we might place on them, is worthy of resurrection and therefore salvation. You do not have to have personally met Jesus and hung out with him and your family. You do not need to be the child of some important person in the community. You just need to be you. Because in the eyes of God, we are all friends of Jesus. As children of God, we are all children of someone very important indeed. Salvation is not just for the perfect or those who believe that they are. Salvation is not just for the politically connected. Salvation is not just for the rich. Salvation is for everyone. God offers salvation to everyone freely through provenient grace and through our further journeying, journey, ah, journeying through justifying and sanctifying grace. We still must be active in accepting grace and working to grow in grace, but it is freely there for all people, even the ones who fall asleep during the sermon. I really hope these last three weeks have been a good experience for you one that has maybe introduced you to some new stories, maybe has stretched your faith and understanding of God or made you look at some of the stories a little bit differently. I hope that that you've learned something, but I also hope that you have shared something with others. I hope that you have felt some inspiration to dig deeper into the passages of the Bible to discover stories that you may not know or you may have forgotten about. Scripture is so full of stories and histories and 
the way a group of people understood their relationship with God over a rather long time period. And there is so much there that we can learn from, not just about trying to be a good person or how we should treat other people, although those are some of the very best parts in Scripture, but we can learn more about the nature of God. We can learn more about the nature of the people in those stories, how the world was so long ago and still see the parallels to things that have maybe not changed and are still very much the same as well as those that are drastically different. I hope that when an opportunity again arises to be in closer proximity to one another, maybe going out to dinner with a friend or visiting with a loved one that that you share some of these stories and look for others and really embrace the amazing opportunities that we have through scripture to learn about God and our faith and really ourselves. And I continue to pray for each and every one of you as well as for myself that we all continue to grow in faith and in grace. Amen.